Nope, I was going to sit here, but I guess I can pull in. I don't have to go, I'll just sit here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. Ramajaloka Tipati Sahampati Gatan Chalian Tiwarang Ayajata Santi Tasanta Parashang Kashatika so good afternoon and uh, for the next little while uh, if you could uh, sit quietly and uh, try to uh, listen with some uh, concentration. This is a uh, a ceremony we just had. Is uh, come to us from the time of the Buddha over 2,600, 2,500 years ago. And this is uh, now we've been uh, performing these ceremonies outside the context of the Buddhist countries, but the uh, our particular monastic form, the vinaya we follow, uh, it applies to not just any culture. This is something which we try to maintain as a, a standard of discipline, a way of living, and ideally it's transplantable to any different culture. Although when we come to, say, uh, Northumberland here, maybe some of the context doesn't quite apply. The ceremony, it's it, uh, performed after the three months residential retreat. The, the monks in this monastery have stayed for three months here and we each have stayed in our own monasteries for three months which is the monsoon season in Thailand. Of course every season is a monsoon season in Britain, right? <laughs> and then now this would be the dry season when we would normally go traveling. So that that's it's a, there's a stable community for three months, and during that time, uh, traditionally it was a time when the monks would gather around a certain teacher, either for the study of the Vinaya or the Buddhist teachings, uh, for the practice of meditation, because the community is very stable. And then after this time, they would leave the monasteries and go to find quiet places to continue their practice and study. So the community is uh, ideally been living together for three months and then now with this ceremony uh, we use this occasion to part to uh, harmonize the community by sewing this katina robe and offering it to one of the monks who was very helpful uh, I don't know what his duty was but he was helpful <laughs> reciting the patimoka or something <laughs> to pay, to offer our appreciation to him. So he gets a, he gets a new robe. Although all the, sometimes the new robe is sewn in haste, so maybe it's not the best quality, but <laughs> at least it's a symbol of our appreciation 
And for the lay community, this would be the occasion when, you know, like I say, after this, the monks would go traveling. It's a way for the lay community to show their appreciation to the resident Sangha, which will be, even by tomorrow, it's already changing. Several of the resident monks are leaving tomorrow morning already. So there is a, it's symbol, at least symbolism anyway, the, the symbolism of it is universal. To be able to show appreciation, and it also supports one of the fundamental principles of the Buddhist teachings, practice of generosity, dana in the Pali language. Uh, this is a, one of the teachings which is very fundamental, not only to, say, the support of the Sangha, since the monastic order we are alms mendicants, we depend upon the generosity of the lay community. If we weren't able to be supported by the lay community, we couldn't stay here. But as you see, we're fairly comfortable here. <laughs> in fact, uh, would be, last year I was in Thailand staying in a, a cave monastery up in the Mekong River. And it, it was not, not so comfortable, but I mean, it was good enough. You can live quite simply in Thailand, as long as you have plenty of mosquito repellent. <laughs> but the climate is very, very moderate. <clears throat> Of course, living in Britain, it's not quite the same. You need a lot more, uh, like just uh, robe material and a lot of other requisites to survive the winter here. But then coming here now to the west, I was, I was in this monastery in 1984, I think, 84, 85. Probably most of you weren't even born then. <laughs> They know how old I am. <laughs> but in those days, we didn't have this stomach hall here. We only had the one building, rented cottage. So there were just a couple of monks here. Life was very simple. Sometime for the Saturday evening talk, one person. But it was a good practice to be talk to one person, so I got a little bit of, little bit of practice. <laughs> Better than talking to myself, I guess. <laughs> so nowadays, there's, there's quite a few people come here. And the support is very, very, uh, I was going to say extravagant, but sufficient anyway. And also the monastery down south where I spent the rains retreat in Chithurst. Now it's even, it's even a bit, uh, a bit uh, comfortable, I would say. It'd be hard for me to go back to my cave in Northeast Thailand. <laughs> but it's one thing to be said for simplicity. You know, with, uh, when there's so many things available, it also life is not so simple because you have to think about them. Where to put them, look after them. I mean, part of our monastic training is also to be able to provide for these facilities. You know, we have certain rules to look after the buildings. So the more buildings you have, the more you have to look after them, you see. But it provides more opportunity for people to come and hear the teachings. They not, maybe, maybe many years ago when I was giving the talk, you know, we didn't have central heating. Just had to light the wood stove. So maybe, maybe people didn't come because it was too cold, perhaps. I don't know. Maybe my talk was boring. <laughs> But the fundamental principle, one of the, the basic principles in the Buddhist teachings is generosity. Not only for the sake of the monastic order, but if you look at it in terms of spiritual practice, 
This is our training in letting go, of surrendering our selfishness. They, most of the time, people are still looking in terms, first of all, of me, eh? number one. And especially today, these, these modern times, there's so much emphasis upon me, me, me. Eh? And the more things that I can get, the sort of the bigger I am and the better I am. See? But sometimes our materialism distracts from the real purpose. We could even say that you know, materialism is exactly the opposite of spirituality. You know, the spiritual teachings, as the Buddha's emphasis on generosity, is recognizing our way to practice letting go of attachment to ourself. As fundamentally the Buddha realized there is no ultimate self to hold on to. It's only a relative frame of reference, this self. This body, this mind, you know, I think most of you realize, are old enough to realize this body is not yours. Huh? It's always changing, getting older by the minute. Huh? Of course you feel it, long, feel it more when you're older, but... <laughs> How about your mind? You think, oh this is my mind, but it's changing all the time. You're forgetting things, you're learning new things, hopefully. So if we don't reflect, we don't understand the basic principles, we're looking at ourselves in a very selfish way. Thinking that this, and deluded way too, this thinking that this body, this mind, is mine. And this extends to other things. We think, oh, this, this cloth, these possessions are mine. You know, this, this money is mine. Even though it has a picture of the queen on it. Huh? <laughs> The queen owns all this money, eh? but you think it's yours when it's in your wallet. Eh? Briefly, probably. Eh? <laughs> so the Buddha is pointing out to us a fundamental universal truth. All things are impermanent and not self. They don't really belong to us. So what we can do with it though, we can use it skillfully. We can use this body and this mind and our possessions skillfully. Maybe we can use this body to maintain it, to be able to practice meditation, practice spiritual, spiritual exercises. We can use this mind to study the Buddhist teachings, get some understanding of the truth, and ideally realize it also. We can use our possessions in order for, to develop skillfulness, skillful qualities, generosity, learning to look after not only the monastic order, but our friends, our families, our People who are poor make harmony in society. You know, it's uh, being able to put these things into skillful use, rather than most people do for themselves. So use it for yourself. Okay, we have to maintain this body and mind, but if we don't understand what's enough, what's good enough, this was a very uh, common teaching of Ajahn Chah when I stayed with him in Thailand in 1975. Now you know how really real old I am. <laughs> Not quite a dinosaur, but <laughs> but I had the for good fortune to be with Lumpa Cha in 1975 to 1982. So being able to hear his teachings was very helpful because there was somebody who realized the teachings. Otherwise, all I had was a book. And when I was at university in Vancouver, I came across Buddhism in a book. It sounded like a good idea, but how do you practice it? How do you live it? In those days, there was nobody, no, no Buddhist monks in Vancouver. And so the only alternative was to go to Asia. And uh, you know, on one hand, it was very interesting and very exciting to go to Thailand and India and these places. Of course, you get 
malaria and diarrhea and <laughs> wasn't always exciting but <laughs> adventure anyway adventurous anyway <clears throat> and somebody told me if you really want to study about Buddhism go to Thailand many meditation masters there so I never been to Thailand before so it was very good idea very interesting so I went to Thailand many meditation teachers but they forgot to say they don't speak English <laughs> So I had to stay five years to learn Thai. <laughs> and even then, I can't, still can't speak it very well. <laughs> but my ear is more clever than my mouth, you see, so that was helpful. But also, I mean, part of it was just being with Ajahn Chah, for example. He was a living example. One of his teachings was, you know, you should say what you do and do what you say. Otherwise, they call you literally a corrupted wise person. Huh? Nakbrat Sokaprok. Very simple teaching, huh? Say what you do and do what you say. But when you think about it, how often do we, can we do that, huh? Especially in our Western society, we trained our brain to be very, very idealistic and have very, very grand visions and ideas. But how often can we live up to it? And it's easy to talk about the truth and about realization, but Yep. How is it possible to do it, to live it, something else? Well, the Buddha can give us, gives us a very, uh, very practical step-by-step -step training. You can say generosity, morality, meditation, to keep it simple, or the eightfold path, right, right view, right understanding, and then morality, and then practice of meditation. It's a very, very practical teaching, so we can put into our own life. Not only in Thailand, but everywhere. Yeah. What is right view? What is right? What is generosity? We can practice generosity everywhere. Yeah. Of course, being, being in Thailand, it was very, you know, very exceptional, especially as a Buddhist monk. Uh, people would chase me to make offerings. Huh? <laughs> when I wander around the countryside, they chased after me on their bicycle to make offerings to me. Oh, look, I have enough. I have enough. Thank you. I have enough. No, no, no. Just receive the offering. I realized that it wasn't a matter of just having enough to eat, but to provide the opportunity for people to be generous. Yeah. Not, so, not so easy to have that available to us in Western countries. You know, but it's a practice which is very, very fundamental to spiritual practice. And many people in our Western countries, they come to Buddhism because of meditation. You know, I had interest in meditation because I was at university and I couldn't turn off my mind. They, all these lessons at university about how to think, how to think ideally clever thoughts, so you at least pass the exams anyway. <laughs> but there's no teaching in the university about how to turn off your mind when you want to get to sleep at night. No teachings like that. It's always think about this, think about that, think more refined or think more clever thoughts. But there's no teaching about how to stop your mind from thinking. That's when I came across Buddhism. I needed my mind needed a break. So I thought, oh, I'll just go to Thailand and learn about meditation and I can turn off my thinking and have a peaceful mind. Well, 20, 30 years later, still trying. <laughs> but it is better. <laughs> it's a bit easier anyway. <laughs> it takes a bit of practice, especially if one has, as it were, uh, trained the mind to be always busy and active all the time. 
Like, for example, this, this retreat in the, in the monastery in Chithurst. I was in, the, in a hut in the forest, so I didn't have to do anything. Ajahn Suchito was very generous. He did all the thinking for everybody. <laughs> Left me to turn off the mind, or try and turn off the mind. And I had this sort of, a, sort of an insight, if you like, that uh, my normal frame of reference was the busy mind, the active mind. That's the normal frame of reference, relate to the world. And sometimes it was more intelligent thoughts than others, or wiser thoughts than others, uh, uh, some Buddhist thoughts, some not-so-Buddhist thoughts. But being in this quiet hut in the forest, I realized that if I change my emphasis, what's the frame, the, change the frame of reference to the quiet mind. Because actually, the truth is, the silence is always here. The natural state of the mind is quiet. We fill it up with thoughts about ourselves. Huh? If you look at some of the thoughts that are in your mind, most of them are about yourself. Huh? Maybe a few about other things, politics. But it's usually your perception of politics even, huh? all filtered through yourself. But actually, when you, when you can slow the mind down, quieten the mind, the mind naturally is very quiet. And it takes a lot of effort to stir the mind up, to make the mind busy, see? Just like the silence. We listen for the noise. I mean, sometimes we get so nervous we don't hear anything. We want to make some more noise. Eh? But actually, the silence is, is the background. When the noise stops, the silence is always there. See? When our mind quiets down, the silence is always there. The silence is more permanent, more longer enduring than the noise we make out of it. Huh? <clears throat> and of course, maybe a bit more practical reflection is, if you look at your thoughts in the mind, you see how, how changeable they are. Different thoughts. Some good thoughts, some not so good thoughts, depending upon your mood. Okay? But if you observe them then, well, what thoughts can I depend upon? They're always changing. Yeah. They aren't very reliable then. So, learn to let go, let go. And in fundamental to this is the practice of generosity. And we think that, oh, meditation is just about training the mind. But, okay, it's, it's not, it's, it's, you can say it's a mind training to a certain degree. But actually the Buddha taught about it in the context of spiritual practice. Generosity, morality, then meditation. And the Eightfold Path is right understanding first, and morality, then meditation. So some people in the Western countries, what was new to me was meditation. And I thought I needed a lot of, a lot of that. However, without the right foundation in generosity and morality, a lot of it was a waste of time. The practice of morality is to provide freedom from remorse in the mind. So if we, we, maintain, we, can, we can maintain a certain level of morality, we find that we don't worry about things so much. We don't have so many worries and doubts and fears about things. So it's a very good basis for quiet mind, a calm mind then. And particularly the practice of generosity is learning to put things down, let them go. You know? and many of our thoughts are pretty sticky, yeah. hard to let them go. Intelligent thoughts, even stupid thoughts, many of them are very sticky, hard to let them go. But you practice generosity, letting go, putting down all the time, for, it becomes a way of, of an attitude of relating to the world. Then when you have these stupid thoughts in your mind, you know how to let them go. 
<laughs> you've trained your mind to let go. You know, you can see what's skillful, what's unskillful, and very easily then you're able to let go of the unskillful things. You see, what you want, to, what you want to, you let go of. You practice generosity now for enough time, or long enough already. You see. <clears throat> so the practice of generosity, I would say, is the very foundation of spiritual practice. And I would say some people, they can, they can really develop this to a very, very re refined degree. And I, this, I, I, some people have already heard this story when I was in Switzerland. We used to have at the first weekend of each month a meditation weekend. And there was one Thai woman who, would, who asked me, you know, when's the med next meditation weekend? And I told her, and she said, okay, I come and bring the food for all the monks, for all, for all the people there at the monastery. We have five monks and 30 meditators. And so she came on Sunday with her friends and brought all the food, fed everybody. And then when it came time to go up to the meditation hall, I said to her, oh, now you're going to go up and meditate, right? She said, no, 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 no. My practice is feeding the monks. <laughs> feeding the meditators, that's my practice. And she had this great big smile on her face. It looked so peaceful and was so happy. So I went up to the meditation hall and I was sitting there and I was thinking, oh, that's very unfortunate because she's come all this way and she's practiced generosity and she's uh, kept the, the precepts in the monastery. She just has to go up the stairs to meditate. Then I opened my eyes and I saw these meditators in front of me all sitting there <laughs> looking very grim and very serious and I thought, I think she has a very good idea, you know. <laughs> practice generosity and you've got a great big smile on your face rather than sit there for hours crunching your knees. <laughs> I'm not looking very happy. <laughs> so in, in the Thai language, they say im chai. Im chai. When they practice generosity, their heart is full. Im chai. <clears throat> so you can, you can feed your body. You know, it's very easy these days. There's very lots of food around. But what about your heart? Are you feeding your heart? Is your heart full yet? No. But something like generosity, when you begin to share what you have, then it does fill your heart, feed your heart. And you have a different experience then. Uh, you, can, you, can be, you can not only feed your body and be healthy, but you feed your heart, and then you feel very much more full, completely full, you say. You, know, you feel much more uplifted, and maybe you can continue with this sense of joy and peace for, for hours and days afterwards. The reflection on... The practice of generosity is one of the meditation themes the Buddha recommended to reflect upon your act of generosity because it is such a heartfelt and heart-filling experience. When you reflect upon it, you experience that again. You say, Aha! That's what it's like. And when your heart is full, you don't think about yourself. Huh? Your heart is full. You know, it's like somebody, you know, you only think about food when you're hungry. Huh? But when you're full, you don't think about food anymore. Say. So when your heart is satisfied, when your heart is full, you don't think about yourself. The thoughts of selfishness fade away to the background. And you experience this sense of openness of heart and lightness of heart then. Now you can experience that with generosity. Very simple. Of course, it takes a bit of training because there's many different ways to be generous. You know, some people, they, they're about ready to make an offering and they think, well, uh, do they really need that? I think I need it more. <laughs> Can they really let go? They really let go and don't think about it anymore. <clears throat> really open, totally open heart. Let go completely. 
Usually it takes a bit of training, you know, and generosity, morality, and meditation too. Okay? Be able to really open our heart then, fully. <clears throat> so some of these, pra these uh, particular ceremonies we have, I mean, even they, they come from the time of the Buddha, quite a different cultural environment. But we try to maintain them because they contain kind of universal teachings, universal principles. A practice of generosity, morality, meditation is a universal teaching. Not only for people in Asia, you know, but it's a universal teaching which every human being can appreciate. And with them, with the practice of them, they can experience that sense of fullness of heart then. You see that for yourself. When you've experienced that, you know then, yes, this is a very skillful spiritual practice then. Not something we only heard about, but we actually participated in it and have a direct experience. That's what the Buddha is pointing at. This teaching is to be realized each person for themselves. And this is the Buddha has given us these guidelines and these instructions, and so simply to put into practice and you see for yourself. So hopefully, be able to participate in this event, been able to taste a little bit, give your hearts a little bit fuller. Huh? Not, not too full. You didn't eat too much, did you? <laughs> But when we're able to share in this experience, I mean, sometimes it's sort of contagious too. Yeah, people can experience how other people get such joy out of giving. You know, when I went to Thailand, first of all, and then I became a monk, I felt a little bit embarrassed to go into these poor villages in Northeast Thailand, and people were w lining up to offer me some rice in the bowl, and I thought, you know, I have enough, I have enough, thank you, I have enough. You know, because I, I had probably had more, saw more money in my few years of working than most of them did in their whole life. Okay. But then I realized, it's, it's, they aren't actually feeding me. You know, I'm available, I'm, I'm there to allow them to practice generosity. Okay. So actually, I was, I was in a way feeding them. <laughs> feeding their heart and they were feeding my stomach. <laughs> and then I could participate in it. You see, it's a kind of symbiotic relationship, you see. We're available to make ourselves available for the offerings, and they are appreciate to make the offerings, and they feel that they're supporting the Sangha and their spiritual practice. And some people would come to the monastery to be able to listen to the teachings, to get some direction and guidance in their spiritual practice. Because the monks had time to meditate. Didn't have to go out in the rice fields and make and, and, and look after the rice. You know, we could spend our time meditating and ideally being able to experience deeper levels of consciousness. So this relationship is very important and this ceremony is very symbolic of it. We the lay people make the offerings of the robe material and, uh, and now the monks are beginning to sew the robe and ideally we should help them. So there's a community, community effort that we, sew, we participate in sewing this robe together and then we make the offering this evening to show our appreciation to the receiver, Abinando. And then we have this, uh, we, once we have done the ceremony, we also get a few pri privileges. Uh, we can relax a few of the rules, not, not serious ones. <laughs> so even though, this, uh, even though these ceremonies, they come from a different cultural environments, that we try to maintain them and try to preserve them because they contain a lot of very, very important spiritual teachings within them. As long as we're able to understand what the purpose is, keep our, our focus on what the purpose is rather than the outside form of it. So it can take a variety of forms, but uh, 
be able to remember what the real purpose and what the real heart of it is. To be able to experience that sense of letting go, stepping outside your sense of self. And so when you can do that, you really feel a sense of lightness. You know, our sense of self is very, very limited. And many times when you think about yourself, oh, and all the problems that go with it, huh? Yeah. And all the other things we have to, oh, pay all the bills and things, but yeah, no self, no bills. <laughs> Not quite so easy. <laughs> Don't be irresponsible, but... <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, hopefully you'll be able to recognize the value of this practice and uh, may it be part of your, may you be able to integrate it into your regular practice and be able to see the benefit of it for yourself. So I hope this is some useful teachings for you and uh, hope to be able to continue with this practice and reap the benefits for yourself. So, I leave this for your reflection. Thank you, Lokpo, for the reflections. And thank you, everybody, for coming and, and joining us. And just to remind you, if anybody's interested in having a, one of our calendars for next year or um, the, the collection of Lungpo Samiru's teachings, please um, feel free to come forward. And otherwise, enjoy the uh, rest of your afternoon out here and have a safe trip home. Oh, <laughs> 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 <laughs>